0: Most hauntings do not get properly documented. They're anecdotal. There's just someone telling a story. But what if you could hear the story of a haunting that's documented not only by police, medical personnel, and child protective services all in one? Probably one of the most well-documented hauntings ever, and that would be the Gary, Indiana Demon House. Sprinkled with
1: that little bit of demonic activity there. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded we become, fearful to be deceived. Still we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway.
0: Today we are joined by a special guest listener. (laughs) uh, My daughter wanted to hear what Dad did every other week with his friend, so if you want to say hi to everybody. It's Take Your Daughter to Work Day. <laughs> awesome. In 2011, in Gary, Indiana, begins probably one of the most well-documented hauntings, uh, not, you know, demonic possession cases, uh, depending on how you want to phrase it. Now, this is a story that I remember I first heard in the break room at work. They were playing the news on the TV, and it said something about you know this this haunting case, this demonic possession case that was actually documented by child services by police officials by hospital personnel and so it immediately jumped out at me that, that's an interesting story yeah this wasn't one you
1: had to like go search and try to find as you were saying i mean it got national attention on multiple news broadcasts radio television everything
0: this came to popularity in january of 2014 but it starts in november of 2011 latoya ammons her mother rosa campbell and in her three children, ages seven, nine, and twelve, with the oldest being her daughter, move into a house.
1: I will say Gary, Indiana, as I was doing some research, kind of some interesting facts. Is over one third of its population is actually at poverty level or below. Uh, it is rated as one of the highest cities for murder and violence. So I'll throw that in there. Well, that's
0: not good. That's not good. The first thing they notice, they're there a few days. Um, they have an enclosed porch uh screened in and it is overwhelmed by swarms of black flies and they do everything they can to kill these flies to get rid of these flies they i don't know if they use poison or, or fly paper or what have you but uh it says no matter how many times they killed them they kept returning now this is an enclosed porch it's December. This is not fly season. This is winter. This is not normal fly season. Yeah, so this is already, you know, they, they they immediately kind of notice something strange here. Now, the longer they're in the house, they start to hear footsteps coming from different parts of the home. Uh, the basement seems to be one of the places that is most most Definitely a hot spot. They, uh, they hear the doors for the basement and the kitchen creaking open. Even when they secure these doors, they become unsecured, unlocked. They open up on their own. And then, at some point, they notice a shadowy figure of a man pacing back and forth in the living room that actually leaves wet boot prints on the floor as he moves back and forth.
1: I thought that was a very interesting twist out of, you know, a lot of the research that we've done. I mean, you might see a ghost, a a shadow figure go through, but actually leaving footprints and wet footprints. Yeah. Interesting little tidbit.
0: Now, we move on to, to March. March 10th, 2012. The 12-year-old daughter was having a sleepover when uh, screams were heard from her bedroom. When her mother and her, her grandmother ran in to see what was going on, she was levitating above her bed. Now, this is sort of a classic image that one would get from, from, yeah, from the exorcist or the like. <laughs> they prayed until the girl returned to her bed. And when they asked her what happened, she could not remember. Now, by this point, they had encountered... Obviously, the, the, the noises from the basement, the footsteps, the, the shadowy man walking through the living room, the boot prints, the levitation. They figured they had something going on. Latoya contacted local churches, and most refused to hear her story. Finally, one of the churches told her that they knew that her their house had spirits in it. Uh, they recommended she clean the house with bleach and ammonia, which... As far as I know, doesn't that create mustard gas or something like that? I don't think that would be healthy, and I don't
1: think I've ever read or saw that information before that that would be good for a cleansing of a haunting.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) Uh, But told her to clean the house with bleach and ammonia and then use oil to draw crosses on every door and every window to the house. Which that marking of the entrances and exits, that is common. I mean, I've heard that before. Right, right. Uh, She did reach out at one point to a clairvoyant who claimed that the house was besieged by no less than 200 demons.
1: I actually heard as many as a thousand, but a lot. Yeah,
0: at, at least 200. Yeah. So the clairvoyance advice uh, was to move. <laughs> just good advice, maybe. Good advice. Like the, the old Eddie Murphy, you know, Amityville get out. Get out. Yeah, just get
1: out. Now, again, distress. This isn't a house they own. This is a house that's actually owned by a gentleman by the name of Charles Reed. Yeah. And he was renting it to this family. So, I mean,. I'm going to take a step back here and say, can you imagine you've got your small family, young kids, and you've rented this house, and shall I say, kind of a sketchy area, maybe, (laughs) and this kind of stuff is going on. I mean, you're definitely either getting your money's worth or not getting your money's (laughs) worth, however you want to put a twist on that. Uh, But a lot going on, uh, definitely.
0: Well, yeah, I don't know about you personally, I mean, as much as I like to see a haunting, I... This this becomes a whole different thing after a while.
1: The demonic aspect, yeah, I'm I'm away, I'm away.
0: So anyway, the clairvoyant tells them to move out. Obviously, they can't afford it. They're not a family of means. Like you said, they were renting, so up and moving everything they've got, not not really feasible. So instead, they told them they could make an altar. So they make an altar in the basement. Uh, They take a uh, a table, they cover it with a white sheet, burn a white candle on it, and then put a statue of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And then they, they open a Bible and they leave it open to Psalm 91, which I don't know what the exact wording of Psalm 91 is. Is there a certain verse or just Psalm It just 11? says Psalm 91, so I'm not, okay. I'm not a Bible guy. Okay. I don't know what that breaks down to. Psalm
1: 91 actually reads, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the foul snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. So I can see how that would that would be appropriate. That's just a tidbit, by the way.
0: Uh, they also did a sage and sulfur smudging to help clear the house of evil influence, which is pretty common, I think. Yeah. Um, nothing happened for three days. Three days. And then things got worse. Three days of peace. Uh, the children at this point began to become possessed, and, and so Ammons herself, Latoya, became would become possessed on occasion. And when the children were possessed, it was evidenced by the fact that their eyes would bulge out of their heads, would have evil smiles, the, their voices would deepen and become scary, demonic sounding.
1: Very iconic of demonic possession.
0: Yeah. Ammons herself, when she was possessed, described as feeling weak or lightheaded or even kind of warm. Those who witnessed her said that her body would shake violently. Uh, Campbell, the, the the grandmother, Rosa Campbell, claimed that she was safe because she was born with protection from evil. What so does I that mean? I, you know, uh, again, as an old D&D player, when I hear protection from evil, I automatically <laughs> think of the magic spell. Huh? So I don't know if, if she was just born under a good sign, if she received blessings at some point. Hmm. Uh, But in her own words, she was born with protection from evil. Uh, Occasionally, the youngest boy would sit in a closet talking to another boy that only he could see. Uh, The oldest boy would describe what it felt like to be murdered and killed. Wow. For for apparently no reason, with no prompting. The youngest boy once flew out of the bathroom as if thrown by an outside force which a lot of levitating, a lot of moving objects seem to pop up in this story. Uh, The headboard hit the daughter so hard one time in the head on her bed, it caused a wound that needed stitches. The daughter would also feel as if she were being choked, held down to where she couldn't move or speak, and heard a voice tell her that she would never see her family again, and on one occasion that she wouldn't live another 20 minutes. Wow.
1: That's uh, pretty climactic for anyone, but especially for young children to experience. And I think this kind of continued to basically go to the point of where it exploded.
0: Uh, I know they reached out to their family physician on April nineteenth, that same year, who apparently visited during the haunting. Now he noted the behavior was delusional, uh, but he did say obviously that there were some unexplained things that he had never seen before. Again, this comes you know this starts that that sort of trail of documentation by people this you should be able to trust. I would think just this was a doctor, a physician. I mean, obviously, yep. yep. Um, Now, the children did have a history of irregular school attendance, which LaToya herself chalked up to uh, many late nights where they couldn't get any sleep, days where they would wake up and they didn't feel well, they were sick because of their experiences. Now, I
1: will add here that Charles Reed was interviewed, the owner of the house that was renting it, and he didn't believe any of this. Uh, He said there was basically nothing really going on.
0: Yeah, he said all the tenants before, and I think there was one tenant after her. None of them claim to have had any experiences.
1: But again, maybe this is just a landlord trying to keep his house rented. (laughs) It could play either way.
0: So uh, the medical staff did witness the boy being lifted and thrown into a wall while no one was touching him. Hard to explain. Yeah, I mean, I can understand jumping, but being picked up and thrown, that's, that's a little different. And then at one point, the boys passed out. And no matter what they did, they could not wake them up. So someone from the doctor's office that was there called 911. Multiple police units and ambulances arrived. uh, And they took the children to the hospital. And here is is sort of another step in that chain of documentation where things kind of pick up. This
1: part is utterly just left me speechless.
0: Now, the the boys woke up in the hospital. Uh, The older boy was acting rationally. You know, he seemed to be pretty normal. But the younger boy would scream and thrash to the point where it supposedly took five grown men to hold him down. Now, as a father, as a father with with children that, that occasionally act out, no, I will say that uh, the idea that it might take five men to hold down a child doesn't surprise me. <laughs> um, I know that that I've definitely felt outnumbered once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> so while they were in the hospital, the Department of Child Services was alerted to what was going on. Now they initially believed that the children were just performing for their mother; that the mother was delusional she was creating the story of the possession and whatnot. But, uh, DCS case manager, Valerie Washington was sort of the, the family services person assigned to the case. She examined Ammons and the children, found them to be healthy, free of marks or bruises. So they didn't have any outward signs of abuse or, or, or any kind of injury. The hospital psychiatrist evaluated Latoya Ammons and determined that she was of sound mind. Valerie interviewed the family while they were in the hospital Uh, At times, the youngest boy would start to growl with his teeth showing and his eyes rolled back in his head. So more of that that demonic behavior. Uh, And and even at one point, he, he put his hands around his brother's throat and wouldn't let go no matter what until he was pried off of his brother forcefully. Later, she interviewed them again. The youngest did the same growling, you know, growling with his eyes rolled back. And then he would say, it's time to die. I will kill you. I mean, just very, very dark stuff. While the youngest was growling, the oldest head-butted his grandmother in the stomach. Uh, she grabbed his hands and prayed. And this is when one of the, the most interesting. The boy got a weird grin on his face, walked backwards across the room, up the wall towards yes. the ceiling, and then flipped over her, hand, or over her head while holding her hands the entire time, landing on his feet. Walked backwards up, up the, the wall, wall to the
1: ceiling. Did a flip. And landed over... And from what I understood, the grandmother was there, the mom was there, the two boys were there, I believe the caseworker was the caseworker, there, yeah. and at least one nurse yes. was there that witnessed this.
0: And apparently this happened more than once, but this was observed by everyone in the room. And uh, after that happened, everyone left the room. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor came back in a little while later and asked the boy to repeat his uh, unexpected feat. To which the boy said uh, he couldn't remember what the doctor was talking about. He didn't know what the doctor was talking about. He could not remember walking up the wall. Now, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your point of view, DCS took uh, custody of the children at this point. Ammons was eventually found guilty of neglect for not sending her children to school regularly.
1: I was going to say, I think that was the catalyst, was the amount of time that the kids had missed the school. And also it was mentioned some of the bruising and stuff that the kids would
0: come to school with. Uh, she was told that she needed to find a job, um, appropriate housing, which I think would definitely be a big factor, and uh, and the children would be cared for until she managed to do that, which she did, and she regained custody six months later. In my timeline here, we're getting to April twentieth. the The hospital chaplain contacted Father Michael Maginot, mm-hmm. or I'm going to say it Maginot. Maginot, I believe, is correct yeah. spelling or pronunciation. but uh, well, this was April twentieth. He was a priest at St. Stephen Martyr Church in Merrillville. He interviewed Ammons and Campbell in the house on the 22nd. He noticed while he was talking that the bathroom lights were flickering and the blinds would swing back and forth of their own accord, which he said (laughs) indicated that the the entities there were obviously displeased with his presence. He noticed the wet footprints on the living room floor, so it wasn't just limited to them. Uh, And he concluded that the family was in fact being tormented by demons. This wasn't a haunting, this wasn't... They didn't have ghosts. They had demons. This house was, was possessed. Thus, the title
1: that was given across the news stations, The Demon House. Yeah.
0: Um, now, during the in, in the same time frame, the house was investigated by police and the Department of Child Services twice in, in that time frame. There were strange photos that would have ghostly faces or, or silhouettes in places they don't belong. One uh, vocal recording picked up someone saying, Hey. Uh, that could that wasn't documented by anybody in the room, sort of an EVP. And they, on more than one occasion, noticed an oily substance dripping down from the walls and the blinds. And at one point, they they completely cleaned the blinds, mm-hmm. left the room, sealed it for two hours, and came back, and the substance had returned. There's no apparent origin. And I saw an interview
1: with one of the uh, police officers that was involved that night, and he came in and he stated that he thought this was all a farce. The family was doing it. Someone in the family was doing it. So he actually took a matchstick and stuck it in the top of that particular bedroom door after they cleaned the blinds so only he knew this, and that way if somebody opened the door to go back and maybe try to repeat it, the matchstick would fall. The matchstick did not move. No one had entered that door. On the blinds, too, I thought another interesting thing was the oil didn't drip from the top of the blinds. It was literally like midways in the blinds. So It was almost like something was trying to come through, if you will, the portal of the window right in the center.
0: Yeah, and again, this is part of the official police report on this particular case. So yet another piece of evidence confirmed by an official agency in some capacity. Now, Father Maginot, in, in that time frame, would conduct three exorcisms. Two he would do in English, and finally one in Latin. Uh, the pain of being exorcised Ammons described as being comparable to childbirth, only, obviously, with the result being, yeah, you know, not quite the same. Yeah, not quite the same. Now, as as he was doing these exorcisms, father the father would go and he would look up the names. He would ask for the names of these demons, and as he got these names, he would... Uh, tried to look them up on the computer, and the computer kept shutting itself down, just randomly as he would try to look up the names. Now, one of the names given, I'm not going to repeat the name, of course names are supposed to give them power, but it basically translated into the Lord of the Flies, which goes back to the December... Flies on the porch. Yeah, the flies in the enclosed porch. Now, after the third exorcism, apparently Ammons didn't uh, experience anything more after that, and then she, she would get her kids back, and they would eventually move out of the house. Yeah, I, I don't have the exact date that they moved out, but but later in 2012, after this was all done. But supposedly after the third and final exorcism, Ammons felt that she was freed of whatever influence, and, and they she would move out. Now, uh, one of the police officers, a 37-year-old Captain Charles Austin, he, he totally believed that this was paranormal in, in, in all of his reports that he documents. Uh, he did initially believe that the family was trying to get rich by lying, by falsifying, you know, these events. Which in this day and age, you can make a lot of money on a haunted house. Absolutely. But after visiting the home and the things that he saw, he he said he was quite the believer. Uh, there was even a, a photo published in the in- Indianapolis Star that shows a shadow figure in the window when no one was supposed to be home. So you've got, you know, these official pieces of evidence registered with the police department i think the the police department has that photo even that shows evidence that there was something there
1: now you mentioned the police chief i had a story and i believe it was the same gentleman Um, after one of the investigations where he'd been in the house he also was experiencing some of the dizziness the lightheaded he was on his way home driving home that night i guess apparently had stopped at the house and was going directly home pulled off like a little gas station and uh, as he did the am radio channel came on in his car and started randomly going through channels was this uh that his car seat also
0: because there was one of the Uh, officers involved their car seat started started moving moving around shaking
1: or or something yeah and on the am radio uh he heard something to the effect and, and don't quote me i may not be correct but it was like who are you why are you here and if there was any doubt that kind of seemed to seal it up and uh he was almost afraid to go home that night well there's actually he felt something had attached to it
0: actually uh the more you dig into this story a lot of the people involved in the periphery not people that lived in the house but people that investigated i think one of the family services women, women that investigated it she uh, was involved in a motorcycle accident and received third degree I burns a, i have a long okay, list yeah, of those I mean, you might want to we'll
1: we'll uh Once we get into all the story, I'll kind of close with that. It is uh, uh, almost unbelievable with all the people that's come in contact and the effects the house has had on them in different ways.
0: So I, I guess when they got close to moving out, we talked about the landlord earlier, Mr. Charles Reed. Now he was concerned the Ammons were behind on their lease and had been using the activity in the house to say that they could Obviously, they couldn't afford the payment. They'd been involved in all these things. But the, the tenants before the Ammons hadn't noticed anything. That There was at least one tenant after the Ammons that said they didn't really notice anything. And finally, the Ammons family, they did move out in, at some point in 2012. And you would think that should be the end of the story. You know, They they, they mm-hmm. lived in this house. There was nothing before. There was nothing after. So Zach Baggins, uh, host and executive producer of TV show Ghost Adventures, he heard of this story. He was very interested in it. So in 2014, he bought the house for the low, low cost of $35,000.
1: In a poverty-stricken, bad neighborhood.
0: Okay. And would eventually demolish that house in January of 2016. Now, there's a documentary that he made called Demon House, which came out on March 16, 2018, of, of his experiences in the home. and I think you said you watched the documentary in preparation Actually, for Actually, uh,
1: I had watched it previously, but before this podcast, I wanted to go back and kind of refresh myself. It's now, quite interesting. I had
0: watched it, too, and I don't really want to spoil anything from the, the documentary. I think it's still out there to be watched on Amazon Prime. But I will say, if you're into the ghost hunting TV shows, it's really compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of goes back through the history of the Ammons and their experiences. He he interviews the police officers, and, and and some of the other people that were involved. Uh, Father Maginot is, is a very big piece of uh, yes. Zach's documentary. Uh, Father Maginot, even to this day, claims that he still gets calls from those who go to the empty lot where the house once stood. Uh, they feel like they brought something back with them. A lot, of, a lot of them have bad, vivid dreams after the fact. They're stricken with sudden sickness from headaches and nausea. They'll hear three knocks, either on the car or in their house afterwards. Uh, feelings of anger and sadness overtake them. And and they call him. And, and he, Father Magino, w- would not have recommended destroying the house. I think he was interviewed after the fact. And he said that Zach did not talk to him about even, destroying the house. Yeah,
1: you kind of felt that, you know, he... He, he was insinuating that, yeah, he should have talked to me before he did oh, this. And
0: the father father wanted that house to be kept almost so it could be contained, so that house could be locked up, keep people from getting into it, keep that influence, because, like I said, they, they still feel that there's something there on that ground.
1: Now, I will go into a little bit on Zach Baggins. Again, I don't want to spoil the episode, but there were some tidbits that I felt it was interesting enough to definitely bring to the podcast. Before Zach even knew about this house, uh, he stated that he actually had a nightmare in 2014. And in that nightmare, he mentioned a 12-foot-tall, black goat-like figure. This particular figure... Uh, approached him and blew a black smoke from its mouth, and Zach inhaled that, making him choke and cough. Um, he heard about the home, ironically, in the occurrences the following day after having that nightmare, and he heard the house was available, as you said, at the ripe picking price of thirty-five thousand dollars, and he bought it sight unseen. Uh, he, I mean, that was right up his alley, as you mentioned. Uh, he was, you know, big. Uh, producer and active person in the paranormal field, had his own TV series. And, you know, here he was able, he thought, to purchase a haunted house and definitely did not know what all he was getting into. Um, He was first able to see the house about a week later, I think, when he flew in. And uh, the Ammons family, of course, had, had been gone for a while, and squatters had already moved in and sounded like they had lived there for quite a while. Had a heck of a time getting the squatters out, but he actually interviews the squatters and nothing, again, yeah. had taken place. They they didn't have any weird uh, occurrences. But that black 12-foot shadowy horned goat figure was a constant uh, symbol or, or typical in a lot of the stuff that came out.
0: Apparently, uh, Zach did make contact with a lot of people involved in the original. Like I said, he talked to, the, or tried to talk to the admins. They um, shut him down. he did get in touch, didn't want to talk to him yeah, at yeah. all. He did get in touch with Father Father Magino, who warned him that this house was very dangerous. um And really, Father Magino feels that Zach did not take his warnings very seriously, and Zach intentionally put himself at risk. um In the documentary, Zach kind of the first half is him kind of laying the groundwork and explaining the story. The second half. Is he? He decides he's gonna stay there for the weekend. I believe was a two days. He, he or... actually
1: ends up locking himself by boarding the windows, boarding the doors, and staying overnight. Um, because yeah, of all the occurrences, he wants to get to the bottom of this gonna, and understand. Yeah, what's he's going gonna going to
0: stay on. there. And again, I don't. I don't want to spoil this in case you want to go watch it. But apparently, his experiences in the house left him permanently, uh, a permanent medical yes. issue permanent uh, with medical his issues. with his eyes. Yes, uh, where he has to wear special prism lenses for the rest of his life, apparently. So and 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 this happened while he was in the house. Now, I don't remember the exact name for the medical condition. I did have it written out at one point, but I don't know the onset of that. I don't know what causes it. I don't know if it's I uh, I don't know what happens. So, again, I, I can't say that maybe he wouldn't have just got that somehow. But, yes, apparently just being in the house triggered this this reaction. Now, people who have seen the documentary, some claim it's garbage. Obviously, it, a lot of people are going to say they don't believe it. Steve Barton of the website Dread Central said it was one of the most compelling documentaries on the existence of Supernatural he had ever seen. And having seen it myself, I can say that, that there's definitely a lot of interesting material there.
1: Well, one of the things I, I want to touch on is, you know, as you mentioned, the police were there several times. 911 had been called several times by uh, LaToya and the Ammons family during one of the police investigations they go down to the basement which uh, as we had spoke was kind of a hot spot and I think catalysts once they set up the table with the Bible and, and everything there but again this is kind of a typical basement concrete floor but one of the police officers noticed that directly beneath the steps there was no concrete it, yeah, was, it was a bare dirt earth. floor and based on the video I would say probably a four foot by four foot square for whatever reason this kind of prompted some of the investigators to dig around a little bit in there and they found some weird things i mean just the haunting let's just put the haunting the demonic possession thing aside
0: well yeah they they dug it up and it was like a like a human fingernail they found
1: it was a one of those that you glue on okay but it, it was a female uh fingernail i believe it was pink they found a comb they found uh, some children's socks, uh, a small red tin container. They found all buried uh, right there beneath
0: that little section of the steps. Yeah, the area under the stairs seemed to be kind of a focal point of activity. For some people, they, they kind of had that impression.
1: And, and I don't know, I almost kind of got it that it was possibly previous people or someone was using those items for summoning or curses or spells or something. But And again... It was kind of odd. I, I guess odd depending on how you look at it. Zach decided, I believe, to save the stairway, the, the staircase. So. Yeah, for
0: for some reason, again, I think he felt that the the stairs and the area immediately below were sort of a focal point. So before he demolished the house, I think he had the stairs removed, the the staircase, and has has them on display in his paranormal museum in in Las Vegas. Um, in, in, the display, they, they rest on a blanket of dirt from that was taken from underneath that, that area where they dug, they dug it up. Um, the staff say that the, the, st- that display has a particular aura of foreboding, uh, they are very uncomfortable around it. And I believe as it was being installed at one point in time, the, the contractors installing it just up and walked off the job. Wow. And so they were, they were, they were, they were, they didn't give any reason. They just left. So I would assume, again, you know, there's still something there.
1: And I believe he also kept the table that the family had set up with the Bible and I believe a crucifix and maybe a couple other items that was all kind of associated with that basement in that area. And from what I understood, those items are all there at his museum in, in Las Vegas. And some people may ask, you know, why would you keep that if you think it's demonic? The flip side, obviously, being interested in the paranormal and stuff, you're going to get something for your low value investment of $35,000. Yeah, you want something to show for that. So uh, maybe he's trying to make back some of that money at the museum. Uh, but there were so many people that were involved and affected uh, with the house. Yeah,
0: yeah. People just peripherally involved. I mean, just, I think in some cases, even people that were just called over the phone to consult. I mean, a lot of people, social workers, police officers, they they suffered ill effects just from being involved in this case.
1: There was one of the cameramen, uh, Austin, who uh, actually saw a shadow figure. He believed that he was affected uh, by it. In the hotel where they were staying, he actually almost kind of become possessed. Uh, He was running up and down the hallways acting all crazy. Uh, He saw... He said in the elevator as he was getting ready to go down, this, again, 12-foot-tall, horned, demon-shadowy figure. And I might add that Zack had never told his crew that dream. So, again, this is like the second person that mentions that figure, uh, that Zack didn't share that information. And Austin, the cameraman, ended up being cut from the crew uh, just due to constant building of hostility and anger and violence issues. There was a Dr. Taft... Uh, that was called in, and he was kind of an expert in his field of electronic readings, uh, geo readings due to yeah, he, natural causes. He was more of a
0: scientific eye on this particular Definitely, case.
1: definitely. That's a good way to put it. He was called in, and he had his uh, Millie House meter down in the basement, and he was noticing some unexplained major spikes, not where he would even notice, uh, normally notice these to be picked up at. Not against a wall, not against the ceiling or the floor, but like chest level or waist level out in the middle of the room um during the walkthrough zach himself expressed that he started feeling dizzy lightheaded but kind of anger yeah he became kind of confrontational hostile and in the documentary movie he kind of even for lack of a better term lunges a couple times but he's pulling himself back and he doesn't really understand what's going on but as he's doing that uh, Doctor Taft is watching his uh, his meter, Millie Mouse meter, just basically spike, and it's like the normal human would be, let's say, at a, a setting of a two. This was like eight thousand. I mean, it yeah. was just off the charts. And that would be whenever it would be like whenever Zach seemed to be experiencing this hostility or anger or would even kind of come in the room. Taft commented that it was like Zach is almost a conductor for whatever this is going on um now dr taft was in the house i think he said maybe a total of two hours but within a month maybe two months after that he has to admit himself into the hospital due to some very serious health issues and the doctors say he has complete organ failure going on yeah
0: yeah he's like this house claimed to well i won't say claimed but had a lot of victims like you said just just he was in the house for a couple hours and then and something followed him home or
1: attached itself to him. Uh, now, again, you had mentioned he was a scientific person. And even being sick, complete organ failure, it, it was kind of like a sick science experiment to him. He, I mean, he wasn't blaming anyone. He's like, I want to understand this. I like, was picture-perfect health, and the doctors don't understand how you could have complete all organs start shutting down in failure just in a blink of an eye. And so, from what I understood, he's still going through experiments and tests trying to understand this. Now, Zach, I think, at this point, starts understanding that maybe anybody that's physically involved with the house, at least a majority of them, are coming up with sickness, illness, bad luck, accidents, whatever. So he reaches out uh, to a psychic medium who he's used on his show several times. Uh, Her name is Debbie. I believe the last name is pronounced uh, Constantad, Constantine, something to that degree. But ask her if she can do kind of a a seance of sorts, but over the phone. So she's not physically coming to the house. And she agrees and does this. And she says during her, her phone, I'll call it a seance, that she picks up a demonic force. She hears lots of voices in the background. Uh, one in particular is, is possibly a child, uh, voice, an innocent sounding voice, but says something's wrong. Um, now, unfortunately, this one gets very tragic. Um, within, I believe two months later, Debbie and her now estranged husband end up with a murder suicide. The estranged husband went to Debbie and her new apartments where she had a, What's the word? A person that stays with you in your apartment. Roommate? Uh, Went to Debbie's uh, new apartment and a new roommate, uh, a female roommate. And he goes while the other roommate's not there and kidnaps Debbie. And for whatever reason, drives across town to their daughter's house, who is not at home, and ends up shooting Debbie, killing her, and then he turns the gun on himself. Now... That was a person that didn't even come physically in yeah. contact. Yeah, with she the didn't house. even go to the
0: house. She just uh, talked to him over the phone about the house.
1: Crazy, crazy stuff. And so many people, and I'm just going to read a partial list, but just kind of put this in perspective: people who have, at some form or another, come in contact, worked on the project. Uh, you have Doctor Taft, of course, complete organ failure, picture perfect health prior. You have the uh, the priest that came over.
0: Oh, uh, the Father Maginot. Yes, Father Maginot.
1: He had a terrible biking accident. Uh, you had uh, one of the home inspectors developed cancer. Police Chief Miller, uh, he felt that something dark had attached itself to him and followed him uh, him home.
0: I believe there was another officer, and I don't remember the name, but I believe there was one of the officers and had a home invasion and was shot and killed in his I own home. I think I did see that, yeah. And his own firearm... Did not discharge, that he had tried to defend himself, but his gun would not go off. Wow.
1: So you got that. You've got the police uh, chief Miller felt something followed him home. His wife says he's never been the same, and they also have been seeing shadowy figures in their own home. Police captain Austin had a terrible fall, led him to a trip to the ER, very seriously injured. Of course, you have Austin, the paranormal cameraman, uh, the violent behavior um, resulting in him being let go from the crew in the series. You had the the psychic, uh, Debbie, and the estranged husband, Mark, didn't even come physically in contact, the murder-suicide. Zach's own breathing issues and eye issues, which he struggles with still today, and he says that that's one of the reasons why the documentary movie took three years to complete was his own health well,
0: issues. I think there was a, so one of the social workers was involved in a horrific motorcycle accident. I
1: think broke ankle, hand, Had some ribs. third degree burns, maybe. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Yeah, it's All kinds insane. of people
0: involved in this.
1: Insane. And, of course, the house, apparently, you know, Zach's like, I think he admits, I may have bit off more than I can chew. He decides, as you said, to tear the house down. And still today, there's things going on in the vacant lot. The The church is being called. The police are being called. Said so there are, like, people doing seances yeah. and summoning. gets
0: calls all the time about it. You know, so I,
1: I got to ask, paranormal investigator to another paranormal investigator, you have the address, Bill. Gary, Indiana is really not that far from Lebanon, Missouri. Would you go to that site?
0: Now... When I get involved in things like this, my wife's only instruction to me when I leave the house is not to bring anything home. So based on on the accounts, the stories. Multiple accounts of that occurring. The people who who have bad things happen to them after they leave, I got to say no. No. I don't think I could go. <laughs> hard no,
1: hard no. And I'm I'm glad you said that because if you said, "Yeah, let's go next weekend," I would have to be coming up with some excuses. Yeah, of that, not being able to make. I, it. I don't
0: think it's time for a road trip to Gary, Indiana. Uh, at least not to that particular
1: address. You know, that's it's one thing to do paranormal and some uh, ghostly investigations, but when you start getting into this type of a dark, demonic um, possession, yeah,
0: hard no. And again, and again. Hard no. and again. You know the the main selling point of this particular story, very well documented by people outside the paranormal community. Indeed. You've got child services, you've got medical personnel, you've got police. I mean, one of the one of the most officially documented uh, possession haunting, whatever you want to call it, one of the most one of the most extensively documented by by people that are you know people that we're supposed to to look experts at and in trust their experts in their or, field. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And still, I mean, uh, if you talk to the neighbors across the street, one of the neighbors was interviewed, didn't want to really talk about it at first, but, um, they're like, they somehow believe it was the Ammons family that started this. Um, you know, they said there was nothing that ever happened. And then basically all hell broke loose when the Ammons family stayed there. You know, did they open up a portal to hell? Uh, was there summoning was obviously some black magic. Uh, What was going on? We may never know. But definitely hard no, Um, I'm I'm not going to be visiting that address. (laughs) Well, folks, we hope that you enjoyed this story, and this is yet another example of what you will find on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thank you very much for the listen. Hey, this is Eric, and I just wanted to give a little reach out and a plug to our first paying sponsor for Nightmares on the Lost Highway. That's our little family uh, toy and gaming shop here in Lebanon, Missouri, called Raven's Loft. If you happen to be in the central... Missouri area. Please check us out. We have two locations. First one is at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon. We've also branched out to a second location out at the Heartland Antique Mall, also here in Lebanon. You're going to find all kinds of vintage toys, Star Wars, Star Trek, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mego, Universal Monsters, all types of gaming, board games, Magic the Gathering. So we would appreciate it if you'd uh, stop by. You can like our Facebook page. Uh, Swing by and check us out. Thank you so much. I would like to thank uh, Alex Tudor, who has been helping us uh, a lot uh, with our endeavors on this podcast.
0: You can call him our producer at this point, I think. Our
1: producer, electronic recording technician. Uh, um, he's uh, the one that's setting up all the mics and the hardware in the background. And then Bill Weirs is going through taking his time to try to clean and edit this up and uh, give us the best possible version that we can present to you folks. want to thank everybody involved with that.